0: Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I trust that you had a good night. and young people had an enjoyable time together yesterday, and I hope you will today as well. And as we begin here, let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day, the beauty outside. Thank you for springtime. It's beautiful, and we thank you for that, for new life that burst forth. Lord, I pray that as we spend this time together, that we can be encouraged and challenged, and this subject of music, and just in our, our submission to you, surrender to you in all areas of life, especially this area of music, Lord, I pray you you give us much wisdom. And as we look at this, what can be a controversial subject, may we be challenged, Lord, to be sensitive to your spirit, where you would have us be on, on the choices that we make. Bless our time together, we pray through Christ. Amen. history will tell us that many centuries ago the Greeks were trying to get into a certain city. And it's sometimes hard to know which is is legend and what is actual history in in these kind of uh, stories, but evidently the Greeks were, they tried one thing, they tried another thing, they just couldn't uh, get inside the city. And so after a long siege, a number of years. They evidently gave up, or it looked like it. They built a large wooden horse and set it outside the city gates, uh, supposedly a peace offering, I suppose. And you might remember that story. It's, it's the city of Troy. And the wooden horse became known as the Trojan horse. And so the Greeks outside the city walls evidently were leaving, they gave up, they burned their tents, they got into their ships and sailed away. And the people inside the city were intrigued by this wooden horse that the Greeks had left for them. And so they pulled this horse inside the city walls, not knowing that there were some elite Greek soldiers inside the horse which waited until the city was sleeping, came out of the horse, opened the, the city gates, and meanwhile, all those soldiers and those people in the ships sailed a little ways away, turned around, and came back. In the middle of the night, and the gates were wide open, and they took the city. Now, I don't know how much of that story is actual history, and how much is legend. just want to think about that as we think about music, we know that Satan has not let music alone. We thought about it yesterday, how powerful music is. And Satan has discovered, as you all you know, that how to leave an intriguing piece of music within sight, within reach of you and I that we're tempted with. A clever Trojan horse. And too many people and myself included at times, have been intrigued enough to open the gate, and I shouldn't have done that. So what is my method of choosing what good music is? As i mentioned yesterday, One of the typical methods and one of the methods that I have used many, many times is if I like it, then that's what makes the choice for me. But is that wise? We know, as I just said, that our enemy leaves us intriguing things to be tempted with. Or things that are not that bad and we're we're tempted to compromise. You remember that, young people, you remember that music clip I played yesterday of the song It's Well of My Soul. And it was done in a punk rock style and destroyed the beautiful intention of that song and the words and the meaning of that. And I suppose that sounded pretty raw to you, especially in, in that setting of listening to it together. Very sacrilegious, in my opinion. How can, you, how can it be a good thing to pair the words of Amazing Grace, for example, with heavy death metal music? It's been done. That's horrible. That's evil. But I doubt, you know, honestly, very many of us are tempted with that kind of, of music. What is much more common among us is the Trojan horse version. The danger is very real, where where the enemy slips something in that grows, and it shouldn't be there. So as we consider music in these sessions, we discovered, in a small way at least, how powerful music can be and can slip in when we're not watching, not paying attention. So we need to think seriously about our music choices. Well, where do we draw the line? That's a big question what is good and what is not good. Especially when we're thinking about what's called Christian music. How can I be discerning? So this morning we're going to look at some music tests. So I hope it will be helpful to all of us. Music tests. Ephesians chapter 5. We read this yesterday. I just want to read verse 19 again. We actually could read a lot of this and would apply it to music, but just for the sake of time, let's read verse nineteen. It says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, the spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And again, there's the purpose for music. It's to the Lord, in our hearts, worshiping the Lord. That's what music is all about. And that in and of itself makes many good choices for us. When we realize that this music was intended to worship the Lord. But the point I wanted to make there and remind us of is the spiritual songs. What's the spiritual songs? And the idea of that phrase there, that word there, is non-carnal. Non-carnal. that's something I trust we would think deeply about as we choose music. It was amazing to me in that last session uh, yesterday when I played a music clip how everyone in the whole room Within seconds, got the same message. That's powerful. And I hope you won't forget that. Music itself carries the message. We know that lyrics do, but music itself carries the message and it matters. We talked about the bottles, the, the mixtures, and how it matters what we're drinking from and where that. Water, where that music comes from. We we thought about melody, harmony, and rhythm, and what order those should be in. And then we talked about body language of music. Body language of music sends a message even without words. Music is the communication of something. And I hope that is something you remember as as well. thought about the different zones of communication, social zone, the personal zone, and the intimate zone, and how music has an amazing ability to bypass a lot of our normal barriers and filters and go right into our personal zone. We also thought about how we should not always be saying bad, bad, bad about music, but realize that there's so much good music, powerful music that can encourage us and help us. Also said that private listening is where the battle of music is won or lost. And I hope you remember that as well. So considering what we've thought about and learned about music, what about some tests that will help us choose wisely? Again, we all have personal preferences. In opinions, who have different backgrounds, and that shapes how we make choices and how we see things. But my personal opinions are not enough, in my opinion, to make good choices. We need more than that, than just my personal thoughts on the issue. Because my, I'm a human, and, and my vision, my perception is not always correct. I need some help. And I doubt yours is always correct either. You know, we're human. We don't see things clearly sometimes. I don't know why those people brought that wooden horse into Troy. Maybe they were curious. and I'm just speculating. Um... I was thinking about another situation in which an enemy was surrounding a city, and that's in 2 Kings chapter 6. We won't take time to look at it. The city is Samaria, and the Syrian army is outside, and the people inside are starving to death. Remember the story about the lepers outside and how they go and find the enemy camp deserted and food everywhere and riches and and so on. And they go tell the king of Samaria, and and the king very wisely is suspicious, and sent a few people out there and check it out. Sure enough, the Syrian army had left. God had caused them to hear uh, a commotion, and they got scared, and they, they fled. And so the city of Samaria was saved by a miracle. So here you have two situations I described to you, Troy. Trojan horse, an enemy that wants in. And they made a mistake by letting the enemy in in a way they weren't expecting. And then we have the city of Samaria. The king in that case was very wise and just careful. But he checked it out, and sure enough, there's something out there that was good to save the city. So in your music that you're choosing, which of these two situations do we have here? And maybe it's some combination. I understand that this is oversimplified. But I want to get us to think, get us to think. So there's this music, it's appealing, I tend to like it, my personal preferences are involved, but is it something I should let in or not? How do I know? So, let's look at some tests that ought to be applied to any kind of music, whether it's classical, whether it's bluegrass, whether it's choral, whether it's CCM, any kind of music, I think these... Will be helpful. And by the way, as we go down through these, there, there's a lot of overlap, and maybe you would arrange these tests in a different order or a different way, or call them something different. But let's look at them. Actually, it's in your bulletin, or well, it was in mine anyway. I must have misplaced it. But there's, there's your tests. We're going to look at them. There it is. One at a time. Number one, the scripture test. Here's a piece of music. Let's compare it with scripture. Now, in that last message yesterday, we did not spend a lot of time in God's word. And let's change that this morning. I'm going to look at a number of scriptures. But if there's any one verse that I would say to keep in mind as, as we're thinking about music choices would be the Philippians 4 verse 8. It's up there on the board. Ricky John read it. Excellent verse. And we're going to look at that. Underline it in your Bible. Put it on your CD player. Put it on the screen or your phone. If you struggle with music, put that verse in a place where it arrests your attention and helps you decide. Make this verse a way of life. God's Word is a tremendous help to us as, as we're choosing anything in life, really. But well, let's read this verse again. Finally, my bro- finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, this is Philippians 4 verse 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So let's go through here. Whatsoever things are true. We've got a music choice in front of us. In fact, you will probably have one on your way home today or tomorrow. Whatsoever things are true. And I think about my favorite music, or the music I'm being tempted with. Are there any lies there? We're talking about truth. We know that the music of the world is full of lies. And we can't listen to lies. Even when we know they are lies, and we identify them as lies, we can't habitually listen to lies without it affecting us this town. When the message of the music that I listen to is full of sensuality or rebellion, doing my own things, those kinds of things, it affects me eventually. So, is that music outside the wall of my life a Trojan horse or not? Or something that will feed my starving soul? So, one of the first tests is a scripture test and we're talking about truth. Is this music promoting truth? Not a lie, not a half truth, not a compromised truth. You know, life is tough and you know that. We have a lot of choices in life. And my advice, my plea here, let's not complicate life even more than it already is by by having half, truths, embracing half truths. It simplifies life a lot when we're focused on truth. Because if we allow the untruth to penetrate our life, now we've got to battle not only outside the walls, but in my own heart. And the enemy has a place to work from within the stronghold. On the other hand, when I only invite what is true within my walls, then there's nothing to hide, no, no closet to be afraid of. There's no secrets. There's no dark corners of an unsurrendered part of my life. There's no closed doors to Christ. And the peace and joy in my heart is, is a result of the total surrender. And that's a wonderful thing. The battle's going to rage out there, but at least it doesn't need to rage in the same way in my own heart. Because there's peace there, because there's truth. Embracing truth. Whatsoever things are true. This verse also says, whatsoever things are honest, has the idea of that which is honorable, noble, not sleazy, not a double-meaning suggestion to tease our mind into the gutter. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. That means upright, morally excellent. Let's talk about innocence. Being acceptable to a holy God. Whatsoever things are pure. That means untainted. There's no motor oil in your water, as young people seem seen demonstrated yesterday. Think about If my music has borrowed anything from the world, from the other kingdom, is it pure? Whatsoever things are lovely, that has the idea of acceptable, and pleasing to God, superb, excellent. Whatsoever things are of good report, that means a good reputation. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21 says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. So I don't know if you would agree with what I'm about to say here or not. But rock music has always been, even from the very beginning, has always been associated with rebellion, doing modern things, with drugs, with immorality. And we could talk about rap music, explicit profanity, Gross immorality, perverted view of women. Country music associated with cheating against the spouse, with alcohol, with immorality, doing my own thing. Many other styles and mixtures of music with wrong associations. We talked about that yesterday. The importance of thinking about what my music is associated with. Scripture tells us not to be associated with anything with... That is associated with evil. So, here's an example. Is it okay for me to walk in a store and buy Coca-Cola? You say, well, besides the dollar or whatever you spend, and the effect of long-term Coke, Coca-Cola consumption would do to your health, <laughs> otherwise, sure, it's probably okay to go in a store and buy Coca-Cola. So, what if I would go in a nightclub to buy the same Coca-Cola? Is that okay? What if I would go into a adult store to buy the same Coca-Cola? I can say, I just want a Coke. I'm not participating in what goes on in those places, but I am associating with something that would make you wonder why is that guy going in there? It's the same innocent drink and I'm not participating I promise in what's going on in there but I am supporting the business and what happens within those walls. Association. You need to think about that. So is it okay to put Christian lyrics to music That is associated with all kinds of evil. A good question. I think a question we need to think about, seriously. Does the message and the lyrics, and the the message of the lyrics and the message of the music complement each other? And we talked about that yesterday. Is it okay to sing the words of amazing grace while the music suggests honky-tonk? Or rebellion or immorality? And I hope that makes sense to us. Think carefully about these things. Now, music needs to be of good report. Thinking about associations. Back to our verse again. If there be any virtue that has the idea of moral excellence, how much of the world's music promotes moral excellence? And you know the answer to that. Can we take what promotes immorality and Christianize it in in a way so that it is of moral excellence. So as we look at this verse, let's not only think about the negative things. And I just said some negative things. But as you look at verse 8, everything in this verse is positive, okay? Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, and so on. These are positive things. Find music that supports those things, and you've made a good choice, and God will be pleased. Think on these things. Fill our mind with these things, and not with the lies and and the half-truths of the world. Where's your clock? There it is. All right. So, the Scripture test. Very important. Test number two, the lyrics test. And here's what what I'm thinking of, I would challenge you with, to carefully consider what the words actually say. Here's something to, to try. Young people know this. You can go online and find the words to almost any song. And I would just challenge you to carefully consider what it actually says, what the words say, without all the emotion and the feeling of listening to the song being played or sang. What do the words actually say? You may be surprised at how vague and empty a compromise song is. In fact, if you do that, just read the words. What does it say? A compromise song will be vague, shallow, and kind of empty. With all the yeah, yeahs and the oohs removed. And the emotion of the singing voice, which, by the way, That's that's a human thing. That's part of what music is, I guess. But just look at the words in this test and see what they say and see how deep and meaningful and true that they are. Does it line up with the verse we read here in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? And I would challenge us not to accept any lies. Here's some lyrics. Marian Morris wrote this popular song. It's called My Church. Here's what it says, I've cussed on a Sunday, I've cheated, I've lied, I've fallen down from grace too many times, but I find holy redemption when I put this car in drive, roll the windows down, turn off the dial, and then the chorus says, can I get a hallelujah, can I get an amen? It feels like the Holy Ghost running through you when I play the highway FM. I find my soul revival singing every verse. Yeah, I guess that's my church. What do you think of that? Now, I know that you can't cram the whole gospel in in one particular song and say everything that needs to be said. But as I think about those lyrics, what the lyrics are actually saying is that when I've sinned and fallen from grace, what I need to do is go driving in my car with the radio playing loud. That's what it says. And all my sins will be washed away and everything will be good. And we know that's not true. There's nothing said about repentance, nothing about confession, nothing about turning away from sin, or turning to the only one who can wash away our sins in His blood. What the song seems to be saying is that I can take care of my own guilt in my own way and go on with life as if nothing happened and everything is good. So my challenge is, is to look at what the words of the music actually says. Here's another song. Free to be me by Franc- Francisca Botticelli. Something like that. Some of you know can, can say that name better than me. Here's what she writes. Words to a song. This is the chorus, I believe. Free to be me. I've got a couple dents in my fender. I've got a couple of in my jeans. Try to fit the pieces together. But perfection is my enemy. And so on my own, I'm so clumsy. But on your shoulders, I can see I'm free to be me and you're free to be you. Is that clear? Is that true? I'm not being critical of a person, what you wrote. But look at the words of what it actually says. She, must, she admits her own mistakes in a vague way. And she says, Perfection is my enemy. Really? Nothing about simple obedience. Nothing about repentance from sin. The song suggests that I can indulge in my favorite sin and Christ overlooks it because I'm free to be me. What about crucifying the flesh? What about being conformed to the image of Christ? What about a lifestyle that needs to be different from the unbeliever out in the world? What about the broad way and the narrow way that go in opposite directions and lead to very, very different destinations. Does Jesus want me to stay the way I am in my sin, free to be me? And the answer is no. He wants to change us to become more like Him. And so my challenge here is to pay attention to what the words actually say. Is the truth? In fact, that would... Encourage us to pay attention to what um, the hymns in our hymnals actually say. In fact, someone hand me a, a book. Turn with me to 412. 412. We're not going to see, see, uh, sing this together. The 412, Not All the Blood of Beasts. It's the song about the blood of Christ. And let me read verse 4. My soul looks back to see the burdens thou didst bear when hanging on the cursed tree and hopes her guilt was there. And maybe you feel like this is being picky, and I guess it is. But do we just hope our guilt is there? I don't know what Isaac... Watts was thinking when he wrote that. Maybe it was a phrase that fit the song in a poetic way. I suppose maybe he meant that hope was a hope that is faith and not a hope that is doubt. So here's a phrase in one of our beautiful hymns. And I suppose we could overlook a a phrase that that takes poetic liberty to make a a song flow well. But if I hope so, salvation, or hope my sins are forgiven, was preached from this pulpit, there'd be a problem. And rightly so. My point is to pay attention to the words. I know a man that wouldn't sing verse 4 because there was something there he thought was unbiblical. Now, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but that was his point of, of, of reference. And so the lyrics, pay attention to that. Is it deep and clear? Is it truthful? Is it shallow and vague and misleading in any way or even false? So the lyrics test. Test number three, the first and greatest commandment test. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And think what Jesus is saying here. He's talking essentially about idolatry. What's first in my life? What do I love most of all? Nothing should be worshipped ahead of God. Yesterday, we thought about how God intended music to bring Him glory. And music can be idolatry. I think we'd all agree with that questions to think about. How does my music affect me? Does it bring Him glory? Does it deaden my honor for Him? Is the worship casual and shallow? Is it God-centered or me-centered? Does it rob my hunger for the things of God? Does it make me dull of hearing to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Now someone might say, well there's no Bible verse that says my music is wrong. And I guess not. But I would challenge that person to find a, a, a Bible verse that says your music is right. Defend your music using scripture. I challenge you with that. So the first commandment that Jesus said, to love your Lord, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. What's the second greatest commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. So what does that have to do with music? Well, one way it would have to do with music is if the music is sensual and fleshly and selfish, then I am trying to lure someone else into sin for my fleshly pleasure. Right? And that's not loving my neighbor as myself. That's loving me. So the first and greatest commandment test was test number three. Test number four. The mixing of the two kingdoms tests. And we talked about this yesterday a lot. So what about crossover music artists? And the struggle is for us is where should this line be? Obviously, we can't see anyone's heart. We don't know their purpose for sure and their intentions. And I don't want to doubt anyone's sincerity. But when a person casually, easily mixes two kingdoms, kingdoms as though it doesn't matter, then I begin to wonder. I remember the, the Scripture in Matthew 25, the, the picture of the judgment day, and Jesus is separating, the judge is separating those on his right hand the left hand, and everyone uh, is a sheep or a goat, one to receive eternal blessing, the other to receive eternal damnation. And some of those people said, Lord, Lord, haven't we done these things? The judge will say, I never knew you. Could it be that those people are the ones who mix the kingdoms? Maybe they said some good things. Maybe they did some good things. Maybe they wrote some good music. Maybe went all the way to the top of the charts. But they, did they actually live? the Christian life is the question. It's not for me to decide and judge their life, but they will be judged. I just think we need to be wise in thinking about these things. Should we be listening to someone who is pretending to be a Christian? While in reality, in the way they live, their fist is in God's face. I'm going to do life my way. Now I know That God can use imperfect things to meet the needs of our hearts. In fact, you and I are imperfect. I am very imperfect. But may we never be double minded. I'd like to turn maybe to an odd place. I really want to read this. And turn with me, as you would, to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm not going to spend much time here at all. But look at this. Second Kings 17, verse 33. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. After the manner of the nations whom they carried away from tents. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. How can that be? And I won't go into the context here, but basically the children of Israel have been taken away to Syria. The Syrian king sends some foreigners back to live in in Israel, and they don't know God, and and so God sends lions among them. We read that earlier in the chapter. Killed some of those people. So they asked the, the king for some help, and he sent a priest to teach them about God and how they should live. How can you fear or worship the Lord but serve an idol? We can do exactly that, including in in, in our music. Also, verse 41. So these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images. So evidently, they didn't want to give up their idols. They were afraid of the Lord. They're afraid of the lions that God sent among them. And so they blended the Lord with idols. A mix of two kingdoms. I suppose they said the right things. They did some good things, but they actually lived for the idols. And think about how we can do the same thing with our music. Will Christ share room in my heart with an idol? Suppose one of these young men gets married one day and for his bridal party, he wants to have ten of his ex-girlfriends to be in the bridal party. Is that okay? Or one of you girls have ten of your ex-boyfriends in your bridal party. I don't think that's going to work. Where is your loyalty? Who is your husband? Who is your wife? Are you going to cling to that person and be loyal to them? Will Christ share room in my heart with an idol? I don't think so. And we can harbor an idol, worship an idol in music, even while we say we're, we're living for the Lord. So the mixing of, of the two kingdoms test. Test number five, the excellent versus compromise test. And this is, could be part of one of the other tests, I'm sure. There's a lot of overlap here. But as, as we discovered, music is communication. Music has a message that speaks to us. Music suggests ways to think and to live. What we feed grows. We become what we feed on. What does my music promote? Is it entertainment or is it admonition? What fruit does my music grow in my life? And so, this point is just simply saying, point number five is simply saying, strive for excellence. Choose wisely. Choose well. Whenever the gospel is presented as entertainment, it's not a true, not a complete gospel. Many times, things like cross-bearing and actual obedience and things like that and surrender are glaringly absent. And by the way, you and I are not going to become who we choose to be. We are going to become what we decide to hang around, what we decide to imitate, and what we decide to worship. That determines who we become. Think about that. Because we all have this flesh. Number six. I need to hurry on. Number six, the body language test. We talked about that yesterday. Body language test. If you're writing notes down, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, where it talks about not being tainted, not being contaminated with anything filthy. I suppose if you think about body language in music, there could be different opinions about a song and what that body language might be and what it means and what does it matter and so on. But my challenge is, let's not sugarcoat something just because we happen to like it. A coat of nice paint doesn't change a Trojan horse into something harmless. Number seven is a test we've talked a lot about as well, the associations test. And I don't have a lot more to say on this point, but this is an important one. It matters. There's a lot of trees to eat from in this forest of music. Why would I choose what is questionable? Don't go dumpster diving and sorting through the trash in order to find the little bit of good that's there. I'm sure there is some good there, probably. But it's going to be a rare find and will likely be contaminated with the filth that it was associated with in the dumpster. The same nasty fly that laid eggs on the rotten stuff in the dumpster has likely walked across the compromise music as well. Is there perfectly good food in the dumpster? Probably. Especially here in America. But you're going to have to search for it. Is it worth the risk? I doubt it. I am sure that if there's good music recorded by crossover artists, that's fine. Will I be scarred for life and damaged spiritually if I listen to Elvis Presley or Josh Turner sing How Great Thou Art. I don't think so. But if I habitually, unthinkingly, unwisely continue to listen to what is produced by someone from the other kingdom, eventually I'm going to be affected with, by the fleshly appetites and the idolatry that's always there somewhere. So maybe someone's thinking, now wait a minute for a preacher, are you saying if I listen to music that mimics something of the world in some way, that I'm going to go out and do wicked things and walk away from God? Well no, not necessarily. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm challenging with the thought, are you feeding on the best that there is? So are we immune to the suggestions of Satan? I'm not, I'm not sure why we think we are, but we're not immune from his suggestions. We demonstrated that a message comes through music even without words. And seconds. we all knew what that message was. So why was the message of the world not also speak through the world, uh, music from the world? I am not immune to the suggestions of Satan when I open my heart to that sort of thing. Think about this. 2020 Super Bowl, okay? Amazon spent $16.8 million for 90 seconds of ad time. Now, I'm not sure if that 90 seconds was repeated throughout the Super Bowl. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I don't know. $16.8 million for 90 seconds. Get your head around that. And I'm told that between 80 and 90 commercials are played in a typical Super Bowl. Add all that up one time. See what you get. Not all of those ads were as expensive as Amazon's. But why would anybody in their right mind pay $16.8 million for 90 seconds? I'll work my whole life and not see that kind of money. They spent it in 90 seconds. Well, Amazon knows that advertising sells. Amazon knows that their ad will be seen by 112 million people. And they're willing to gamble $16.8 million in 90 seconds to get their money back plus a bunch more. What Amazon is actually doing is buying the viewers' time and attention. That's why people make money off of YouTube. When you got people's time and attention, that's valuable in the dollar signs. And Amazon knows that as well. Many more people will become Amazon customers when they are exposed to advertisement. So does buying a Super Bowl ad work? Evidently. So apply that thought to music. Do you think Satan puts his ads in music? I think he does. In fact, many whole songs, many whole albums, many whole concerts, many lifetimes of musicians playing music are promoting Satan's agenda. And we are just pretty naive if we think that we will not be uh, influenced by those things. We're not immune to suggestions. What are we thinking as Christian people? when we casually associate with what has its roots in evil. And so the associations test. Test number eight, the meat offered to idols test. And what I mean by that is what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is saying that the, the issue was meat offered to idols, and Paul is saying that the idol can't do anything to the meat. We know that. The idol is powerless. The meat is unaffected. However, because of what this meat is associated with, which would have been idolatry, some people w- would have a conscience that is defiled if he would eat the meat off of idols. And so the point here is to be careful for my brother and my sister and how my choices affect them. Maybe those people were at one time associated and involved with idol worship. If it was written to the Corinthian people, they probably were at one time. And they didn't want anything to do with idolatry anymore. And so they were offended if someone would eat meat offered to an idol. Because in their minds, it was associated. So Paul, it seems like he's saying, don't offend your brother whose conscience is bothered by the meat offered to idols. Even though we know the meat is unaffected. That brother's conscience is being defiled. And Paul says, don't do that be better to do without something that you personally would feel is okay, but if it offends my brother, love that brother enough, to be willing to set aside your liberty. And it seems to me we can apply that truth to music. We also need to be asking others for their thoughts on my music. That's a good good thing to do. Sometimes we act like this is my personal business, nobody else put their nose in my business, leave me alone, I make my choices. but it's helpful to have a good brother or sister with some wisdom to give us some counsel on these things. Test number nine: the prayer and surrender test. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. I won't read that. That's the verse, "Search me, O God, in no more hearts, see if there be any wicked way in me and so on." So being a Christian means I belong to Jesus Christ. And I willingly, eagerly put everything in my life on the altar to surrender to Him. Nothing held back from His Lordship, not even music. And sad to say, sometimes music is the last thing to surrender in our lives. What did Paul say on the road to Damascus when when the Lord struck him down? He said, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. And all those important things, what he thought was important in his past life, he said, is worth nothing. Surrender. We tend to hang on to what we love, and and certainly we can with with music. So if Satan tells us the lie, if you give up what you love, you can't be happy. And that's a lie. We know it's a lie. But we can be reluctant to put my music on the altar of surrender. Lord, what do you think about this music? Is this okay? Is this honored you? Is this good for me? Will it take me in a good direction? Will this music help me to accomplish my purpose in life that you have in mind for me? That's the prayer and surrender test. Finally, number 10, the leaning tree test. My preacher, what are you talking about? What's the leaning tree test? Well, we've all seen trees that have fallen. Maybe a storm comes through, it's an old tree, the roots give up, and it falls. So which way does a tree usually fall? Unless a strong wind pushes a tree over in another direction, generally the way the tree falls is the direction it's leaning. Well, that's not hard to understand. We know how gravity works. Ask anyone who knows how to cut down trees, they always, if they have any brains at all, they always check, which way is it naturally leaning? And that factors into to what, how they cut this tree down. It's very important. Because unless something intervenes, the tree's going to fall in the direction it leans. That's not hard to understand. So let's apply this leaning tree principle to music. Now, I would agree that some music probably doesn't push in one direction or another. But by far, most music does push in one direction or another. Just like wind and gravity pushes on a tree. When I make compromised music a habit, I beg- begin to lean in a compromised direction. And as I do so, I become more and more vul- vulnerable to leaning even further. Gravity has more of a grip. My flesh, which I'm calling gravity here, the more I lean, the more it grips me. The more vulnerable I, can't, I become. And it's a snowball effect and gets worse and worse. And eventually the leaning tree will fall. So what does my music stir within me? What does it grow in my life? Purity or compromise? So let's be honest with this question. There are many fleshly things that can cause you and I to be a leaning tree. So that's the negative side. The positive side is that good music pushes us in a right direction, pushes us toward Christ. And if you want to say it this way, the analogy doesn't work completely, but if we're going to fall, let's fall before Him. Let's lean toward Him. Good music is such a powerful thing. It's not the complete Christian life, but it's part of it. And it's a powerful one. Part of it. Let's be reinforced with truth, even through our music. Which way does your music cause you to lean? I challenge you with that thought. So those are the tests I would like to suggest for us this morning. Let me close with some verses Well, let's just read the verse in Philippians 4, verse 8 again. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. When your music lines up with this, it's a very good chance you've found something good. I'm sure I've not covered everything that needs to be said, should be said, uh, in making musical choices, but maybe this will help. But God bless you as we consider our choices in music.